Warm intros run the world. It's how humans translate trust with each other. If you want to break into a network, get someone from that network to vouch for you and getting in is much easier. With that said, I don't know how this has happened, but in 2023, getting a warm intro has never been harder. There are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people aiming to get into very exclusive networks. And the warm intro model isn't effective anymore. There's too much noise for the signal. So if you are a professional, if you're someone that wants to expand your network, what is someone to do? Well, you could spend your time cold emailing, sending LinkedIn emails, and hoping one of 100 people replies gets you a coffee meeting that leads nowhere. Or you could do something different. And today's episode is sponsored by SeedScout, which allows you to do something different. SeedScout is a platform that allows you to request introductions to other people on the network with a click of a button. No more sending long emails, no more sending, doing all this research, right? It's simple. You send an intro request. If they want to meet you, they accept, and you're instantly introduced. SeedScout is an alternative way to expand your network that gives someone more context than a cold email, but it's faster to achieve than that warm introduction. So if you are a sick of spending hours, days, weeks, months, even years trying to break into new networks and you just want to try something new, I would check out seedscout.com, S-E-E-D, scout.com. Let's get into today's episode and thanks for listening. What is going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I am very grateful to have your attention, at least for the next 15 minutes of this episode. Forward Thinking Founders is a podcast where I interview pre-seed and seed stage founders about their products, what they want to build into the world, and why. We dive into how they spend their time, what's their vision, what's the origin of stories, all these things, so you can learn all about what's coming tomorrow. Because these companies haven't hit critical scale yet. Most of them haven't hit product market fit. These are just early stage companies, and the big question is, what can this be? And in this podcast, we bring that out. So with that, I really hope you enjoy your time listening to today's episode. And I've already done 200 plus, so if you like this one, listen to some of the other ones, like with Imadi Kund, Austin Allred, Leah Culver. We have great interviews, so check it out. Enjoy the repository, and for now, let's get into today's episode. Here we go. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. We talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Oren Hoffman, the CEO of SafeGraph. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Great. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for uh, inviting me here. Yeah, excited to have you on. I'm looking forward to learning more about SafeGraph and, and what you're working on. So I think to just dive right into it, um, walk us through, for people that haven't heard of SafeGraph, what is it? What, what what does your product do or what does your company do? SafeGraph has very boring data about physical places. So if you want to learn about like Italian restaurants near me and the store hours of those restaurants, maybe the shapes and sizes of those restaurants, the square footage of the restaurants, uh, um, the phone number, the basic data about uh, a place, that's the data that when we have data about restaurants, we have data about factories, we have data about parks, um, any type of physical place outside of single family homes. Okay, so this is a space I'm not I'm not intimately familiar with. So I have some high level questions here. Um, I think my first question is, who are the people that like value that data? Like for me, like I I am a consumer. I am a founder of SeedScout. Doesn't do location stuff, but obviously there are hundreds, if not thousands, maybe millions of people that care about this data. Can you kind of walk us through who cares about this data and maybe like why? Any organization that. Uh, cares a lot and is uh, about having good data about physical places. So that could be 
be um, if you're a retailer and you're trying to figure out like where to open stores or close stores or trying to understand your store hours versus what your competitors are doing. Um, if you're a uh, if you're a marketer and you're trying to market to these different types of places or you're trying to market to help consumers figure out things about places, if you're anything on local search. So if you're trying to like search for cafes near me, if there's anything where you have like points on a map and then a lot of our clients are in logistics. So doing some sort of delivery and that could be like consumer food delivery type of things or people delivery and, and ride share. Uh, but it also could be industrial delivery. So delivering um, things to restaurants, delivering things to supermarkets, delivering things to other types of places. So lots of different use cases, which is which is awesome. I, I do have another question, and I definitely don't want you to share any like secret sauce. So if you can't answer it, it's it's all good with me. But I'm just kind of curious, like, how do you even get the information? Is it like satellites? Do the people share it with you? Like, how did how do you even get started with like getting this kind of information? We get most of our data from crawling the internet. So we crawl four major uh, types of uh, uh, sources. We crawl the brands themselves. So we'll crawl like the McDonald's website and get data from the McDonald's website. We crawl all the local directories um, and review sites that are out there where they're reviewing local places. And there's thousands of these and some are very geographic specific or something like the vegan directory or something like that, right? So you have these really, really micro directories. We crawl city, county, state, uh, and federal data. So government data, that data tends to be um, often that data is not that great. It's very out of date, but there's some good nuggets in that data. And then we crawl job boards. Job boards tend to be really good on things like factories, warehouses, um, uh, those types of data sets that are harder to get in other places. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I'd love to hear about the the early days of SafeGraph. Like, was it was this kind of the direction the whole time? Was there ever a pivot in the in the beginning of it? And kind of from your experience, like, what has the journey been like from small company to larger company? Yeah, originally we had a different idea, and um, and so we wanted to buy this data. This type of data has been sold for a very long time. Um, so if you think of back in the day, like people were selling mailing lists to folks who were selling to, to Chinese restaurants or something, right? And you would want to know where all the Chinese restaurants were. And and, um, and so these have been these been in existence for quite a while. So we thought we'd just buy the data. And when we looked at the data that was available, the problem was we just didn't see any data that was more than 50% accurate. And in the use case that I just mentioned, in the marketing use case, 50% accurate is actually pretty good. Um, like if you want to send a mailer to all the Chinese restaurants and you happen to get some Italian restaurants, it's not that big of a a deal. You waste a little bit of money, but it, it really isn't that big of a deal. In our case, we were trying to use it for AI and machine learning models. And in a, and when you have low accuracy, these models start to compound errors really, really fast. So if you st if even if you're 90% accurate, if you start timesing 0.9 against each other just a few times, you get a really small number really quickly. Um, and in these cases, we're we're talking about like 0.5. So it was a really just the inaccuracies were just piling up super, super fast. And we thought, okay, well. If we had this problem, we needed higher accuracy data. We imagine many, many other types of companies need as well. And so we end up pivoting to this solution just because we had our own problem. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And now as you're working on the current version, what, what you're currently doing, how do you spend your time? Uh, you know, as a, as a CEO of a company, I feel like you have a million hats. 
you know, different things every day. But if you had to, if you had to estimate, like, what, what are you spending your time on an average day? Well, I think CEOs end up spending their time in like lots of different areas. Um, but the ideal, ideally, CEOs should be spending most of their time on product. So that would be the area. If I could spend 100% of my time on product, like that would be ideal. That is never the case. And there could be months where you're spending like zero time on product um, because you have things that are blowing up or you've got some huge sales opportunity that you're pursuing or you're just like doing tons of hiring and you have to do interviewing or you're you're trying to grow talented people in your organization. There could be a lot of different uh, attacks on your time. The more time you could spend on product, the better, but um, just like things are chaotic and they're changing all the time in startups. So the ideal is never the case. I've never heard the phrase attacks on your time. Obviously, like I know that you want to protect your time, but it's funny, like you, you have what you want to do on an average day and then things get in the way and they attack it. I like that. I like that, uh, that, that description. <laughs> yeah. So one other question that popped up in my head is you're obviously very like data driven company Your whole company is data, uh, you know, this location data. And obviously, as you're, you know, well familiar with AI has kind of become this big old thing in the last several years. I'm curious, does that like, is does that affect your business at all? Are you using AI? Does anything change? Does it all change? Like, how does this AI proliferation mean anything for your company, if at all? It makes a huge, it affects a lot of things. So first of all, it affects the companies that we sell to. So we have more uh, opportunities to sell to companies that are in the LLM world, either they're developing LLMs themselves or they're building kind of vertical market tools on top of LLMs and they want to have some really good data. One of the problems with LLMs is that sometimes it makes up data or changes data. And so having some sort of true sets could be really important to, to, to ground these LLMs. So the, the number of companies that we could sell to today in, you know, September, September 2023 is is quite a bit greater than it was in September 2022, uh, when you know really the the LM market was was very very nascent. Um, the um, and then um, and then using this these types of LMs as part of like when we're doing matching of data, when we're un trying to understand data, when we're doing crawling and trying to understand crawling can be very very effective as well. Of course, that means potentially competitors could be using them. So it's scary and that we have to make sure we use the this data faster and use these new tools faster than 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 somebody else. And then of course, like LMs are just productivity tools. So if you're a software developer, you're you're probably using some sort of LM code assist as a productivity tool. If you're a marketer, you're almost certainly using some sort of LM as a productivity tool to write copy um, or to write your ads better. Um, and so you're, you're seeing a significant boost to productivity to most parts, most functions. And I would say anywhere between, let's say, 10% on the low end to maybe 30% on the high end boost to your productivity. And all that is probably, you know, changed in the last 18 months. So you're able to do more with less people. And I feel like with you, as you mentioned earlier, being kind of like a product-minded person, you're well-suited to take advantage of this kind of AI revolution or whatever you call it, because you're already thinking about product a lot. Um, how how did you become like a, a, a product person? Like some CEOs are very much like marketing focused. Some are just like sales focused and that's their thing. And some are absolutely product people. I'm curious, like what made you, what makes you as someone that wants to focus on product all day? Um, what, what, what about your background or interest kind of led you to that, that being your interest? Well, I think it really doesn't, whatever you are, like 
you know that the better your product, the easier it is to sell it, right? Um, and um, and product can mean a lot of things. So it, it it doesn't just mean like the product itself, but how does one like integrate that product to, to whatever else they're using? How does it like how do you know, in the end like what is the user experience when they're using a product? And, and we sell data, so we don't even have a UI on top of our product, but you still have to get that data into your system. So we have to make sure we integrate with Snowflake and with Databricks and with AWS and Azure and GCP and all the, whatever else, whatever tools you're doing, it has to be able to be transformed easily. The docs have to be really good. So just thinking about like, what are your, how good are your docs is kind of like, that's a, you need a product mindset for all those types of things. Um, and, you know, even if you are just like a totally sales oriented CEO or founder, uh, you have a very good appreciation, like the better your product, the easier it is to sell. I love that. And I, I definitely agree with it. So kind of with my last couple of questions, if you were to look out into the future, you know, three, five, 10 years, as far as you really want to look, what do you see is like the, the vision for SafeGraph or what direction are you rowing in as you're building out this company every day? SafeGraph thus far has just been a data company. So we sell data and that data is an ingredient to other companies who are building applications on top of that data. So we sell, let's say, high quality butter to these pastry chefs. Um, just because you have high quality butter does not mean you're going to end up with this amazing croissant. You have to be an incredibly good pastry chef to then actually take advantage of this, of this really great ingredient. Now, without that high quality butter, you're probably not going to have a great croissant. So the butter is a necessary ingredient, but it's not sufficient. You need many, many other tools, plus your own ingenuity, plus even just like great presentation to be a great pastry chef. Uh, and so there's a lot of humility that comes in a data company. Like you're not the end solution. You're just an ingredient to that solution. And your goal is to make these chefs shine. Um, and but you're kind of like the guy in the background. You know, we like to say like, you know, there's the there's some, there's the person who wrote the U.S. Constitution, and then there's like the archivist and the person who made the paper and who made the pen. You know, all those people are like really important. But like, we all just know the people who wrote the Constitution. You don't know all the other people that went into it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. I love that and. I guess in order to 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 do what you do best and make this all happen and continue to thrive, you only need some help, right? It takes a village to make a, a company work and scale. So I guess my question for you is how can the forward thinking founders community help? Are you hiring right now? Are you raising money, looking for customers, looking for specific partnerships? Like how can the community of listeners help here? Yeah, probably the best way is one of the one of the really cool things that we're involved in is this uh um open consortium called PlaceKey. And PlaceKey is in a entity matching solution for places. So if you have data about a place and that could be like anything with an address, just think of it. You could have records for delivering to customers. You could have anything that you have an address and you're trying to merge that data, dedupe that data, match it, do some sort of entity matching on that data. You can use PlaceKey. It's just at placekey.io. It's really, really cool. It's one of my personal passion projects. Um, and anyone who wants to check it out, they can use it. They could they could tweet at me at or or an AURN, I'm happy to help them out like directly with any customer service issues they may have um, while they're trying to do that to match out this like disparate, interesting data, especially like if there's an academically oriented person out there who's who's uh, wants to match data. 
Totally appreciate you sharing that. And you, you did mention Twitter. I have a quick question on that. You have a first name account. Did you were you just on Twitter really early, or did you like were you able to snag it late? Like I'm curious, how do you get your first name on Twitter? <laughs> well, first, when your name is Orin A U R E N, you don't have as much competition, and it is sad. Like I don't even have that on Facebook. So even there, there are some other people who have who got that first. Uh, but there's just a lot. I, there's a lot fewer uh, uh, competitors for my first name than there are if your name is, you know, Chris or David or Jenny or something like that. Yeah, unfortunately for me, I was I'm late to the game on all like the standard ones, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever. Yeah. So I'm like Matt underscore Sherman. I have an underscore in my name, which is absolutely horrible. <laughs> but you do what you gotta do. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta hustle in whatever way you gotta you gotta make that happen. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, for my last question for you is if someone wanted to learn more about SafeGraph or you or connect with you online, you just mentioned Twitter. Is there anywhere else that they can find you or SafeGraph online, like a website, social media, anything like that? I mean, I freaking love Twitter, so I'm on it probably way more than I should be. Um, so if anyone wants to engage with me there, I'm always happy to engage there. I, I, I just think it's a great service. Cool. All right. Well, then we'll see everyone on Twitter. They, they, Oren, thanks so much for coming. Yeah, on the or podcast. X or whatever we call it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. X. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks again for coming on, and I wish you luck in building out this vision. And thanks again. Thank you, Matt.